Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, facilitator of all things turn on, author of permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and lift the veil. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I'm your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have a completely magnetic guest. Her name is Vanessa Meridian. Vanessa is a qualified sexologist, yoga teacher, and the founder of the sex and wellness platform, Me Amuse. Vanessa has been working predominantly with women, non-binary and gender non-conforming folk over the last 12 years. She works with individuals to cultivate healthier relationships with themselves and their pleasure. Since 2008, she's spoken to thousands of people, inspiring them to find freedom in their bodies and ultimately more pleasure and vitality in the everyday moments. Vanessa believes your life is the foreplay and accessing small moments of ease and pleasure throughout the day is the magic in cultivating a good and fulfilling sex life. Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lauren. So happy to be here after our years of, you know, flying in the same zone and and being in and out of each other's lives. I'm excited. Let's uh, let's get into it. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited too. And you're one of those people where, you know, we don't talk often, but when we do, it's just kind of like the way that I feel it is this flame just kind of burns. Like when we do eventually catch up or get together or like our paths cross, but I wanted to share with listeners, uh, Why this topic? The topic is the secrets of embodied pleasure. And I want to tell listeners why this topic is so perfectly fitted for you and your essence. And it's about Mm. the first time I ever met you. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to this. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I have to share this. All right. Because it's like the, the, the memory is clear as crystal clear in my mind. So I'm sitting in one of the classrooms at Curtin University in 2011. It's our first in-person class. We did two weeks of intense, yeah, two weeks of intensive at Curtin University when we enrolled in the graduate, postgraduate diploma of sexology. And I'm sitting in this classroom, people going jibber jabber, jibber jabber, and in walks in this woman with this beautiful presence this beautiful curly hair this white shirt do you remember your white shirt your white collared shirt that you were like like you just looked (laughs) banging and it was seriously like everyone I swear to you everyone looked at you everyone like your presence was presence was just like this it was magnetism in full effect like I can still 
see you and I was like who the fuck is that (laughs) yeah oh my god like so smoldering like so sultry so like anyway it was just I can still yeah just such a powerful moment of first coming into your presence and I have no doubt that I'm not the only one who's ever felt that the first time (laughs) that they meet oh my god thank you I'm like 2011 take me back um and I'm like what white shirt is that I might I might put it on for this afternoon just parading around the house yeah but yeah what a time that um that classroom was yeah and the beginning of this journey that we've both been on really of uh self-evolution and 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 really the evolution of society in the past 10 12 years yeah, yeah, mm. there's yeah, there's those those parallel processes, the work, what's happening on an individual level. It's um yeah, it's been a ride and I bet mm. if we'd have told ourselves um 10 years ago <laughs> that I can't believe I'm saying that that um this is what we'd be doing 10 years from now is jumping on a recording chatting about like I I think we both would have uh, there would have been an element of surprise and intrigue there um, if our past selves could know mm. what we're doing now and know and learn how non-linear it all was. Oh, for sure. And that beautiful, I'm just also remembering that time. We worked so closely together and, you know, you being like amazing in the classroom and and such a like I was always inspired by how you you know and I think yeah we just have a good yin yang balance and we had that back then and it would be you know interesting to explore again now but yeah you brought so much to my my year with sexology and at Curtin and um yeah we're attached from that moment for sure yeah yeah it's Mm. um yeah it's been a dance it's been a real dance and yeah wonderful to watch you watch you bloom and see where life has taken you before we get into where life has taken you and what embodied pleasure is I would love to ask you Vanessa every guest I have on the show the question I put to everyone is I want to ask about the bathroom sore moments in life because these are the moments where we can experience such intense learnings about our presence, about our essence, about our body, about our dreams, about everything that we stand for. And I define the bathroom storm store moment as one in which you're trying to hold it all together mm-hmm. as everything feels like it's falling apart. Like you want to be there's usually tears. There's like, there's a sense of darkness. There's a sense of how the fuck am I ever going to feel different from this? It's like, Mm -hmm. I want to be seen by someone in this moment, but I also want to be invisible. Like, no one look at me right now. It just depends where you're at. Maybe you can feel both of those things at once. Uh, I was wondering, Mm -hmm. have you ever had a bathroom store moment it doesn't have to happen in a bathroom store it can happen anywhere but it's just like can be like that breakdown before the breakthrough I feel like I have them fortnightly (laughs) um but yeah doing this work because it is so about desire and you're teaching people how to follow 
their yearning and their wanting and to also cultivate that when they feel empty and low in vitality. Um, And, yeah, I worked obviously just like in the industry itself being so stigmatised and taboo and shadowy that it was really hard for you know, the work that we were doing to get it out there because people are secretly coming and saying how wonderful it is. But back in the day, no one really wanted to share that um, quite externally. Mm. So it was a slog. And over the years, I've really realised that me, you know, expanding into that charismatic woman, I guess, that walks into the classroom and also just her own growth into who I kind of am today. I guess when I'm teaching people to to love themselves, that ultimately that has been my own quest Uh, and that, you know, I was abandoned. My mum died when I was quite young and then subsequent kind of, you know, hardship with my stepmom who also died when I was early 20s and, and this you know, yearning to be seen um, for myself was part of why I was doing the work. You know, I wanted to be seen and loved. So, you know, over the years working full-time in pleasure and in liberation, that it was bloody tiring eventually and holding space for so many people that, you know, I was really burning out. And I'm Mm. over the years kind of maybe about it kind of hit three years ago, four years ago, this peak zone of, um, yeah, of burnout really. And for me that was there was grief, there was anger, there was rage, there was I kind of got to the point where I couldn't hold anymore because my inner child and my wounds were screaming out for me to hold them alone in silence yeah, and as I'm talking about that now, I can feel it still in my body because I am, you know, I feel really, really great um, in the client work that I do do now and a lot of creative work is flowing through me. But for so long I was just uh, balancing. And, yeah, even when I talk about it now because I am exploring that grief and I and my mother grief, like really quite intensively at the moment like weekly with my therapist and I'm equipped and this divine self that is Vanessa the woman that you see that walks into that room actually meeting her and moving from her consistently has been the biggest practice of my life Um, and really kind of propelled me into this embodied work because that embodiment was my own saviour Um, but yeah, that, that bathroom stall moment was full of rage. It was full of kind of a lack of communication in my partnership. Mm -hmm. It was doing all the work, but kind of when I got home, really just needing to zone out and shut down and, and be with myself. And at that point I wasn't really being held by therapists and and body workers and, and, and what I do now. Um, so yeah, there was a breaking point. There was a big breaking point in my relationship, and um, yeah. But now I I work how I want, and 
I see clients when I can or like I schedule it so I have breaks and time alone to be with that creativity and to be with my heart and my spaciousness, which is exactly what I get to teach, which is the best part of it that, you know, generally the women that come to see me or the folk that come to see me, they need this permission too to take time off to get what they need, to not prioritise, you know, just the money, to to, and the income and the survival in that way, but to actually prioritise the feeling body, the connection to the body, the connection or the the cultivation of pleasure over a number of years to feel balanced, joy and easy as often as possible. So I really practice that, you know, on my own behind the scenes and it's necessary for me to kind of hold space how I do. Yeah, and... I, well, first of all, I want to thank you. I can hear, as someone who knows you and how you speak, I can hear the new layers that you've uncovered through your voice and the levelness of your voice. Like I've heard, it's almost like I can hear the maturity coming through and the real wisdom and I can hear mm. the alignment and the congruence. Like mm. that feel, like you feel unshakable in that, like this is a, this is a non-negotiable, this is a necessity, this is like breathing, is yeah. being being this lest I not be here because I'm in holding and I'm burnt out and I have nothing to give. And, mm. yeah, I just, I can, oh, I can hear that. What? Um, Thank you. Yeah, oh, you're so yeah. welcome. It's just I can, yeah. hear, I can hear your gift. What? Why, I don't know why this is coming through, but why do we have to get <laughs> to burnout from holding, holding, mm. holding, holding, holding in our feelings, holding in our grief, holding in our rage, holding other people, holding space as people who are you know, generous? Why do we need to get, why is, it, why is the story so often that we've got to get to the burnout point? Like mm. what? Well, I think I, I, Yeah, I think that it is because, you know, and I say this to clients as well all the time, that we are this first generation of of humans that get the privilege or have the privilege and that get to do the work on ourselves. You know, when we think Mm. about our parents, they were in a different kind of survival mode where, you know, at least for me it was very much, and particularly my dad, um, you know, earn the money, get the house, feel safe in it, and, and you know, that was what life was about. And, and here we are with a certain, for me at least, a certain level of, um, I guess, privilege in that way. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just lost my headphone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that privilege or that security with foundational stuff like house and earning, um then allows me to invest in my self-care and I think that's quite a buzzword really and I think self-care is a whole thing that we're also all really learning. Um, But, yeah, I get to go to therapy and I get to go to the osteo and I get to go to the, you know, rage out on the beach. These just were not conversations. You know, I I read a letter recently that my mum had written in 1994 um, about her experience with 
doctors and healthcare providers because she had she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when she was yeah 34 um and so and even how she's talking about the healthcare system and the alternative medicine and how she wanted to feel valued as a patient and as a human you know with a terminal illness that it's that was like brand new at that time to be questioning these things and demanding it of those people. And I'm, I'm really grateful to come from a woman like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, we are, this is why, like, it's like burnout wasn't an option for our parents. I don't think um, it was happening. And I see it now more than ever, how, you know, that shows up as, illnesses in the body or perhaps like a bit of intergenerational trauma in 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 our um um generation Mm. but here we are the first I think you know group of people societally that get to yeah talk about um care and self-care and then further community care and and looking after ourselves so that we can um you know, help others rise up and raise their voices and all of these things, but you simply can't do that if you're tired. And, um, yeah, it's a new conversation Um, and I think it's a real one. You know, we're talking about bodies and nervous systems and safety and trauma and all of these things come into play around burnout. We may not have known, our parents wouldn't have known if they're burned out. They just kept showing up to their job 9 to 7 p.m. and, and slogging it out. So, you know, it's a new conversation, then it's the privilege of being able to see it and potentially step back and take time out because you have the support to do that. Some of us definitely don't, but it's then looking at priorities and and how we go about that to to kind of really take it seriously. But, yeah, yeah, I think it's a new conversation and and if we're looking at the body, suddenly we get to see all these things and and it might be scary because it's like, oh, my God, I'm burned out. Oh, my God, I'm feeling tired. I have to do something about it. And and we don't necessarily have the structures or the systems in place societally to support those things, those changes. But, you know, we are every step we take towards changing the system just lost my headphone again, <laughs> and liberating ourselves and our how we do life is literally, you know, moment to moment kind of thing and that we're creating it here and now. Yeah. So that's why I think it's a new conversation. Um, yeah, we just have more body awareness. We have mm. more privilege to look yep. at it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I really, yeah, really, really love what you've just said and how it fleshes out the conversation around burnout because you're talking about cultural context, you're talking about what's happening on an individual level, you're talking about what's happening on a somatic level and all of these aspects have been brought to light that, like you said, like people would have just pushed through. It just Mm. would have been life. It just would have been, well, this is what you do. You just get on with it. You don't have the word the term burnout I don't think was coined until I'm not sure what year it was coined but it was I'm assuming it's around was around the in some time in the 90s so yeah it takes a while for words to really get into everyday vernacular so I really appreciate that perspective you've really 
yeah, you've really given it more depth than um, mm. using that term. You know, some people use it really flippantly. Oh, I'm in adrenal fatigue. I'm in burnout. It's like this is a really real situation that mm. um, that so many people are in, and privilege is such a factor. Yeah. How do you? Ha- just speaking about burnout, how does embodied pleasure now? How can we weave embodied pleasure into the conversation? Can you tell people what it is and maybe how, you know, what the dynamic is between burnout and embodied pleasure? For sure. So I just wanted to also add, like, my burnout, like I've realised, you know, the the strengths of me as a youngster, like going through all of this, you know, pretty pretty intense conversation from a young age around, you know, my mum dying. That was like the conversation I was having when I was eight. I became the person who holds it together, you know, because Mm -hmm. that was the only way I knew how to do it. And so obviously that becomes a strength, but the, and, you know, and just to be kind of obvious about that, that um, the opposites there, there's a strength in the kind of weakness or the lack or the, the, the fear. And so I was just holding, 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 and that's why I became this <laughs> awesome holder of space, um, you know, and to to hold these private, secret conversations uh, for people and, um, yeah, and their liberation. And that's what I do, but I hadn't allowed myself to be held. So I was moving from, from that place and, not that it necessarily affected me because when I show up to clients, I'm 100% there, but it was kind of the rebound effect of that afterwards that I actually hadn't allowed myself to be held. So that's what my journey is kind of over the past five years and, and definitely more acutely in the past kind of year um, is that I'm really just surrendering to you know the holding that my therapist gives me and and a few of these other practitioners that I kind of mentioned and I seek that and I surrender moment to moment to allow that then the work of holding space becomes vitality it doesn't become this like thing that I have to do to survive wow wow Mm. so yeah let's celebrate that yes 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 um, yes. and, I, and that's just felt beautiful. And even then, just like in the past six months, the creativity and, you know, people are like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Do this, do that over years and years, you know, it's like always kind of comparing me to people who do it fast and pump it out and, and get it out into the world. But I have so much compassion for that that part of me now I used to compare myself and feel you know competitive and like I wasn't doing what other women in the industry were doing or getting it out as quick but now I look back and say you did the best you could and slow and steady was how you needed uh, to be and also you just needed to have this this wound held and and that's just fucking how it is and Vanessa does it how she does it which ultimately, and I know you're the the biggest fan of, then gives permission for other people to be in their process and on mm-hmm. their journey, and it just does not look like anybody else's. Yes, yes, you know? and again, yes. there's vitality there. Yes, 
Yes. Right? And that's what it's about, this kind of libido that you mm-hmm. and me have talked about forever yeah. being vitality and what, what fills us up is doing the work from a whole place, not a fearful inner child kind of wounding place, but I don't want to like, I also don't want to dis- diminish my work by saying that, but that was just the reality of being a human in the world and growing into who we are, especially when you've kind of had early trauma. Of course, it's going to like light your fire yeah. for a good few years, but yeah, then then the fire probably has to shift a little bit. Yes. So that was just a little disclaimer. I lo- I What you said is... Your answer is just <laughs> um, how you how you conveyed what you just conveyed. I'm like that is it's what it's what people need to hear. It's what people need that true life giving permission to be themselves, to not compare, to hear, to not just see that as a meme, but to hear it backed up by a real life story of honoring your own process, your own speed, how you generate, how Mm. you um, have done things a certain way from a certain place and intention, because that's all that you knew at the time. Like you were always working with what you knew and what your capacity was. And then when you realize that, okay, there's a different way that I can go about this, you felt the medicine of holding from a place that really uh, is life-giving, life-sustaining, full abundance, completely Mm -hmm. generous rather than a place of coming from a place of lack or this is what I do, this is what I'm designed to do, I am designed to hold, I am the holder, like sticking to mm. labels, scripts, stories about how you hold. The, the holding is so, so generous when you are simultaneously holding yourself and allowing yourself to be held by, by other people. Oh, for sure, yeah. Be- that was beautiful as well. And then. And thank you. And then it's like how does embodied pleasure come into that, right? So then it's like if we're moving from fear or or um, lack or just through day-to-day, it's kind of got this energy of like survival to it. Well, that was what I kind of came to. And it was beautifully gifted to me, um, beautifully gifted to me through a training I did a 300 hour yoga training with embodied flow and and my commitment to myself there was just be in this be in the gifts of this but embodied flow they work um it's a yoga school and they work with like body mind centering techniques and a lot and osteopathic techniques and just a lot of um embodiment and and getting to this place where we are fully embodied in this moment now and moving from there becomes like this flow state that every step we take we can be in flow Um, but in order to move freely and flow freely fully with vitality and joy and balance in our lives you know, we can't do that if we're moving from reaction, if we're moving from fear, if we're not awake to our drivers, right? So Mm. if we're unconsciously moving through the world, for me, there was an element of survival. And I was standing in the shower one day and I was like, fuck, I've got this brilliant life. 
and I'm still and I still cannot wait to be on holiday and I still cannot wait to be kind of on holiday at the end of the day you know the Netflix the wine the joint whatever it is or I can't wait to be on holiday in four months to kind of stop doing what I'm doing and I was like what the fuck is that about you can't live like that I don't want to live like that and so what I knew about how survival felt and was embodied was this really fast kind of moving through the world without the blinkers without seeing in that um beyond kind of this like forward trajectory there was no um um side view or there's not that full inhabitation of the world behind me it's just like I am moving forward and if you're in the way um you know that's what I notice in clients I guess myself I'm kind of I'm pretty slow and present but yeah that survival what did it look like it or you know it can look like pushing through conversation it can look like you know it has a forward trajectory but if I sit here and embody myself fully right now right and have a breath how I answer how I attune how I listen to the divine kind of words that want to come through me it's a whole other revitalizing and and conscious experience and that can be changed in the moment so you know embodied flow the school taught me to kind of look what like pushing and collapsing might look like in the body and then finding like a balance point so for me I kind of use my spine the spine is a beautiful one especially if um yeah, if your spine is is A-OK, it's like upright and strong and then there's an, an ease around it if we just balance into it. So right now, Loz, you could even just like settle into kind of the strength and steadiness of your spine. Mm. Have a breath here. <sighs> and what if we move, you know, from this place? And it is so that for me is kind of that presence in the moment right and is something I like to teach clients but if we've got kind of grief or trauma that is like activated that will come into that moment and then there might feel like some contraction or restriction or fear and that's why we have to to do the work like see a sexologist or see you or a therapist or a body worker to help Mm. us kind of get to know our reactive states and how key part now in the work and the work you know we've done with the institute of somatic sexology is like how do we integrate the body and the mind and because pleasure and particularly sexual pleasure or orgasmic pleasure or whatever you want to describe it is so in the body and people come with their brains being like help me tell me what to do fix me or what do you know but really it's about starting this conversation in the body, attuning to it. You know, people are like, help me have the most orgasmic experience, Vanessa. And I'm like, well, when was the last time you said hello to your pussy? You know, do you? And, like, what is that in an embodied way? So does that make a bit of sense? Yeah, yes, most definitely, most definitely. And I'm... Casting my mind back to, you know, some of the earliest clients um, I saw where there was that, there was that plea to fix their body through their mind. Like, mm. surely, if I think about this enough, or you 
plow me with enough information, like just give me the give me the information, surely I can go into that bedroom and feel the things that I want to feel. And it's like, no, 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 we have to do it through the body. That's why the first thing we do in every session is breathe. And that's been the standard for eight years of sessions with my clients. Yeah. Always, 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 always with the breath, always with the breath. There is no point talking about pleasure, talking about joy, talking about um, orgasmic states, eroticism, yeah, vitality, exactly, feeling alive, feeling Mm. engaged, anything, feeling satisfied, anything you want to feel, not do. There's no Mm. point talking about any of it if you exist from the neck up. And Mm. it's okay that you have done that. Now that you know, just like we were talking (laughs) about before with your own story, now that you're aware that there's another way of doing it, come into your body, come into your body. Mm. And I really credit, I don't credit sexology, I'll be 100% um, clear on that. I don't credit our sexology degree at all for teaching that because it didn't we didn't talk it wasn't no (laughs) we didn't talk about breath we didn't talk about pleasure (laughs) it was a it was ultimately a public health degree and yeah speaking for myself I got what I needed from it I enjoyed the academia of it I enjoyed the writing aspect it taught me things that would go on to be useful it really was the institute of somatic sexology with Deej and Uma Mm. who um who well, it was it was an embodiment certificate, <laughs> so you yeah. just can't you can't go wrong. Everything is come come into your body, back to the breath, back into yeah. your body, like again and again and again, and you keep doing it. And I say it to my clients now that are in your head, that are in their heads about whatever it is that they want to feel, back to your body. And I said, I don't care how many times I have to say it, and I don't care how advanced you are in whatever you've done. If you were my client, I would still be saying the same things because you cannot o- override or tap into pleasure purely through your mind. You can't no. bypass your body. You can't, it's it's not going to happen. So, yeah. and um, you can use it. And on that, I'll just. Yeah, go. You, know, you can sometimes use it as the, you know, like, you know, that's probably how I had sex for a good number of years was to feel, you know, I was like, give me the most embodied experience I can have. And now I can feel now I'm here and alive. Um, and that was the journey pre burnout, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so we're, we're an, and you and me, we, we know, and I'm sure people listening also know that stress is like one of the biggest libido killers. But oh, when yeah. we talk about stress, it's in the body. It's like cortisol, um, adrenaline, and it is that state way, you know, way out of balance and and that state dominating. So the foreplay, the embodied foreplay are these moments where we breathe and we check in with the body all day long, all day long. Yeah. Because that says I'm prioritising now my body and that then it's from there you know, months of practice here, like, and attuning, I'm awake, oh, yeah, breathing, am I breathing? Right now, as we talk about it, how are we inhabiting our bodies and our genitals and our breath? And then it's like, oh, okay, here's my erotic self, here's my pleasure self, and it's only one step away, you know, it's not like 10 steps and it's not, 
you're not lying in bed like how do I get out of my head because you've cultivated a practice that is integrating getting out of your head all day long. Yes, yes. And life is foreplay. Mm-hmm. We talked about this in our messages when we are talking about this episode. What And you've already mentioned some incredible ways. Are you able to expand upon life as foreplay for people who are like, wait a minute, like how can how is life how is life foreplay how is that possible yeah. who only under, who have only really had contact with that word in a sexual context yeah for sure this is you know this is like one of my biggest teachings that i've run with over the years and i i think it came from you know esther perel saying that foreplay begins at the end of the last orgasm yes, yes. and that um everything in life you know, or everything in a partnership contributes to partners or people feeling safe and ready to arouse and to let go and to experience pleasure. And and I and so I took that and then with my embodiment work, with my own kind of embodiment and and getting to know what's kind of surviving looked like and stress felt like and, and what the effects of that were that then exactly what we were talking about only moments ago, that everything we do to integrate embodiment all day long is your life as foreplay because, you know, what is foreplay? Yes, maybe some people say it's sexual touch or it's your partner going down on you for a good 40 minutes before maybe penetration, but old school, right? It's like we want sexuality. Well, I want sexuality and sensuality which are key, you know, to be infused in my day-to-day and in who I am. And, yeah, obviously that comes, that's where shame stories can come in because that wasn't so safe for particularly people who identify as women and and definitely, um, you know, non-binary and and GNC folk too. We haven't really been safe in the world to kind of sexuality and, and overt sexuality has only really looked one way. but when we think about sex and I guess I I was going to say pleasure, but particularly sex, it's about connection most of the time. Hmm. So any thing that we're any quality that allows us to connect to ourselves, to our senses, to our pleasure, you know, I I teach in yoga. Sometimes I crack a joke on purpose so that people laugh, and you know, it's a good joke if I can get them to laugh on them on cue. All right, I'm going to do joke, and you're going to laugh, and then they feel the laugh, and I say, "Where are you feeling that in your body?" You know, like so often we laugh, and this is a perfect chance to like cue in. Okay, what does embodied pleasure feel like? What is laughter? What does looking at or even being here right now with you is like the memories flow in and like Mm. camaraderie (laughs) and the peer, even though like we don't talk heaps, but it's still there and we share this journey, which we've definitely both been on without necessarily talking about it, but feeling it you know, the vitality or the excitement of that story is even here as we speak. So it's like, oh, how does that feel for me? You know, I can feel it bubbling kind of in the centre of my chest and and right at my solar plexus. And, and if I allow it, it kind of props me up. It helps me feel supported. And it's, for me, it's that conversation that life is foreplay. And then mm-hmm. if you want to 
and pleasure is available everywhere if we choose to see it like that so that's what I mean by life as foreplay yes and I feel called to talk about laughter oh my gosh I just had a memory oh my gosh okay I'm going to talk about laughter for one second and then I'm going to share a memory which is about laughter and you so so I love laughing like so much and it's one of those things like that is a definite source of pleasure for me. So sometimes um, I I pause and when I laugh and I realise, oh, fuck, I miss that. Where the fuck have you been? Like why have I not been laughing more, more often? Why have I not been? It feels like orgasm to me, laughing, and that's why you're here and people have given me feedback like, they love my laugh on the podcast and it's like I I love la- I love laughing. I love it. You so- have an amazing laugh. Oh, thanks. It's such <laughs> a reflection of my orgasm. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> it gets uh yeah, more yeah, it gets more. mirror that for us. What's the orgasm <laughs> yes. like? like I swear you um yeah, so I love laughing and I want to encourage women to laugh when women put their hand over their mouth and they're like quiet in their laughter and like suppress it. I just think that's so, it's so limiting of your being in your fullest expression, of feeling alive, of feeling your embodied pleasure, like a laugh, laughter and goosebumps. They're my two favourites, um, not cold goosebumps, like alignment, oh, my gosh, stuff is tingling, alignment, like yeah. kind of kind of goosebumps. But it just, I just got a flashback. You used to have a theory about laughter and orgasm. Can oh you remember God. what it was? I, I called it Meridian Theory like I back know. 10 years ago. I often think about like checking back in with you about the book of my theories that you would record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think no, it was. I, I think, can't remember. I think it was that you were you were putting together the way that a woman laughs is is a mirror for how she orgasms, and I was wondering it's some it was something along that thread. Mm. Does that does that still ring true for you ten years later? Oh my god! Well, now that I hear your laugh, I'm like, no doubt, there's a mirror right there. I can I can see your orgasm immediately. Um, <laughs> oh hi! <laughs> I know, yeah, baby. <laughs> Thanks for the um the clue in. Um but when I think about my orgasm, I'm like, oh, I guess it makes sense, you know, like if I'm really, really laughing, I'm bouncing. I'm just bouncing without much sound. Like I I'm like <laughs> um but yeah, my orgasm is quite slow, you know, slow and deep and like rumbling, here it comes. But I'm gonna sit with that. Lauren and um maybe bring it in and have a little play but I think like you said it bang on and maybe that 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 meridian theory landed with you because actually you (laughs) it's it's meant to go with you um I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna put it into the show notes what your meridian theory was about about laughter I'm gonna find it I know I've got it in um like the book I was going to write in 2012 that never happened and got rejected. Mm. It was it was in there. It was in there somewhere. But um, but yeah, I would love you. Like I trust your the way that you process, and I think it's wonderful that you honor that and sit with that one. Mm. Um, laughter, pleasure embodied. But yeah, orgasmic. it makes. Com- Sorry to yeah, cut your orgasmic <laughs> off there. 
but yeah it makes complete sense like especially when yeah you mirror it back and and yeah the handover or the keeping it contained and the lack of like taking up space and sound Mm. and you know that that was also a huge um kind of trajectory for me with yoga it was like starting to use kind of a yoga class for people to access breath and sound in a way that serves their sexuality not necessarily in a way that served their their next level yoga practice but um that was always a funny conversation I had with my teacher Tara Jadel um but yeah that like exactly what you're saying that kind of I've got to keep it small here or I can't take up too much space is definitely mirrored in the bedroom. Um, And in a lot of ways that women communicate, whether it's laughter or talking or, yeah, communicating. Yeah, sound. Sound is a big one, like organic, that organic sound that can come through as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, with pleasure. Uh, I'm curious. um, <laughs> We're getting very serious with the questions. Now. Yeah, putting my serious hat on. Yeah. Um, your ancestry is Armenian. Mm. You're on your father on your paternal side. Yeah. Um, for anyone listening who isn't aware, the Armenian people have endured significant struggle and um, mass genocide back in uh, the early 1900s. There's also been a mass exodus of um, Armenian people from Armenia that happened in the 1990s as well. Knowing what you know about your ancestors and the ways Mm. in which they needed to fight for their survival or be in survival mode, Mm. how does that or does it at all influence your feelings about the importance of embodied pleasure like where does your where does your vision and your work and you know your calling how does that how does it intersect overlap with your ancestry wow thank you for this question i guess for me this the ancestry story has it particularly you know got me thinking last year in in 2020 um, and when black lives matters you know, it was coming up and I was like, all right, let me look at like, what's my white privilege. Let me unpack it. Let me um, dismantle a little bit internally. What's going on? What's going on? And then this part of me was screaming, you're not white. You're not white. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, okay, what is this? And then I was part of a few groups of which like gave me permission to start in that way identifying well, actually, before that, I was like literally started Googling, are Armenians considered POC? <laughs> and um, in America, it's quite a conversation mm-hmm. um, because, you know, on the race and ethnicity form, particularly people and Armenians, you know, we're from the Caucasus Mountains along with um, Georgia and countries surrounding us and like not totally specific on what other countries share the Caucasus Mountains. But technically that means that I, as an Armenian, are Caucasian because I am from the Caucasus Mountains. But I also learned in that time that Darwin appropriated the term Caucasian because he liked the shape of Caucasian people's skulls and then was like, well, we're going to 
kind of essentially steal this, I guess, and and therefore all white people have big skulls and they're Caucasian. So there's that around even identity that that it's been whitewashed and stolen and now anyone who's white calls themselves Caucasian but it baffles me like current like in the past few weeks I'm like it's in the word like it's like you're from the Caucasus and mm. and there's you know Armenians there's so few of us and those countries like Armenia is a tiny country kind of landlocked by Georgia, Uzbekistan, Iran, Iraq um, and it was you know, part of Western Asian kind of roots there as well. So it's I'm I particularly have been learning, but when that voice started screaming at me, you know, you're not white, and I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely my mum was Australian and you know Irish roots, um, probably four generations or so back. So I'm definitely white, but I'm also Armenian ethnic. And when I think about growing up in the world and what people like about me is I think that I am this mixed race woman. Like I'm accessible because I'm I'm white, but I'm fiery and sassy and because I am from, you know, and Middle East is a pretty colonial term, but I'm also a Middle Eastern woman. And... And so that really got me thinking about womanhood and mm. how I, the woman who I am, and then gender identity started coming in and I realised, you know, I kind of obviously it's one of my strengths and skills to be like the woman that I am and and these qualities that I do think have come from my Armenian side Um that are, that's also what people kind of sign up to um, when they, you know, want to to learn from me. It's it's also cultural, and and so I'm like sitting with that a bit, mm-hmm. and then I you know started thinking about the white woman and how in the Middle East, you know, the white woman or white beauty standards are the top echelon. So it was like my Nene telling me I should get a nose job when I was 13. She mm. said to me, you should just get the sides pinned in. I was like, well, actually, her and my cousin were talking about who has the best nose in the family. And I was probably, yeah, 13, 14. Mm. And I was turned around. I was like, hey, Nene, what about my nose? And she was like, yeah, 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 your nose is all right. You could get the sides pinned in just a little. And um, I went home to my auntie and she was like, I was like, Nene told me to get a nose job and she was like, don't you ever touch your nose, you know. She's like, I'm three nose jobs deep and I can never get it how I want it. Don't mm. touch your beautiful nose. Yeah. And and then, you know, it was like removing my lip hair at 14 because that's just what they did even though I didn't have any like and now it's like a bit of a feature and something I'm exploring but it, it has you know definitely strengthened over the years probably because I was removing it for so many years yeah yeah but yeah how I was forced to kind of fit in straighten my hair look a certain way and now you know it's like definitely enmeshed in in gender identity and you know I'm using kind of pronouns she they at the moment and and I definitely identify as a woman that I definitely identify as a gender non-conforming woman. And so, and that 
when I think about as well, like the pressure of women from these countries, you know, to to look kind of white, and um, and I think it's like deeply ingrained in in those women, and it's not a conversation that I'm 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 having until I'm having it now on a podcast, mm. but um, it's definitely something I think about. So. I think about my liberation as a being, as a as a woman who doesn't have gender constraints in what you know woman looks like. That it it is this perfect kind of mashup of of a mixed race woman, and that I do it for those for us to feel more peace. Mm. I know it's like. It's, it's turmoil for kind of like the women I come from on that paternal side, how we had to look and dress and remove hair and, you know. But if you think about it, we're tall, strong. Like if you look at the Armenian roots of kind of some of those women that fought in the genocide, like there were this huge kind of group of women that were fighters and mm-hmm. they're tall and strong and, um, you know, things that when I was younger, it was like, oh, she looks masculine or, you know, oh, when I lost weight and became like more um, fit and strong, it was like I had not many curves and that was probably who knows what side that was from. But it's like my body was always up for, I never felt good in my body and it was many intersections of conversation, definitely kind of race and definitely gender Mm. Um, and also just being that kind of innate you know, I'm an uh, Aquarian sun, so I am a humanitarian, I guess, first and foremost. So it's kind of like every step you take, well, I take, it's doing, I'm, I try to to um, lead, lead with love um, yeah. and so that we can all feel more love. Yeah. But, yeah, so I don't, yeah, my nene, I think, you know, I've got this like vision of her calling my cousins, being like, "Tell me, tell me, is Venny a lesbian?" And they're like, "Nene, like, like, just call her if you're that worried and ask her." You're like, "No, just like, gotta know." And queer rights in Armenia are definitely it's not it's not okay for the people to be gay or queer in Armenia mm. as a country right now. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just me being me, and also me being half, I think, has given me more permission. And my dad wasn't so, I think, because of the the genocide and needing to assimilate, you know, he moved to Australia um, when he was like five or six. So he kind of dropped all culture and I have this real yearning to connect with culture. Um, uh, yeah, and I think just the steps I take are kind of other liberation of this path, even though I don't know culturally if if. Armenia is quite there yet so yeah it's not so specifically pleasure liberation as opposed to but it all it all ties in it's like body liberation identity liberation um to celebrate you know who we are Mm. and to celebrate who you are exactly actually thank you Mm. celebrate who I am Mm. Mm. but yeah when I also think about it I grew up in um I spent I I moved to America when I was 16 so my mum died when I was 13 so a few years later and and I think about kind of the women that I was looking to to inspire me or to 
where I felt, and they were black women. They were Mm. women who were sassy and fiery and just like giving no shits. Mm -hmm. And and when I think about kind of my pleasure lineage or my self-acceptance lineage, definitely black women and and kind of not you know I had friends that were black women but definitely kind of from this pop culture lens of what I was really interested in what I was looking at and how to be a woman in the world it was coming from from those women and I think that was the otherness you know it wasn't like I had friends who were from the Middle East or ethnic but it was like who else where where do I fit here So, yeah, that is an honouring and something I definitely attribute to, you know, this more outspoken, loving version of me. Yes, yeah. And listening to what you just shared and marrying that into what else you've shared today, I feel like you are creating where you belong, like you're not trying to fit in, quote-unquote. You're not trying to... I feel like your own exploration is you creating where you belong and that that is going to, that has the power to be one of the keys of liberation for other people as well is to create where they where they belong or they may mm-hmm. see where, how you're creating that for yourself and then they want to join in on that. And that's very different from the energetics of trying to fit in, trying to change who you are, trying to temper down uh, your natural features, your attributes, your characteristics, your expressions. I just, yeah, I just wanted to share mm. with you, I, fe- I feel like the last few years have also been about you creating where you belong and prioritising that mm. um, along with honouring yourself. And that is another form of permission for other people to create where they belong as well mm-hmm. and to find those places rather than the stress to go back to stress and the holding yep. of trying to fit in totally totally the world is like yearning for unique lit lit up unique beings yes you know yes and fucking iris let's like <laughs> let's illuminate some of them hopefully today yeah um mm. yeah and i I also just want to honour in my pleasure lineage, like I want to just add two more things here, that my nana, nana, when I went back to her at about 18 and I was like, nana, like how do you think my, I was like, what do you think of my nose these days? And she was like, it looks, it's good. You do something? And I was like, no, I guess I just grew into it. (laughs) And so that was the end of the story that I didn't actually (laughs) go and get the sides pinned in a little and that nana ended up loving my nose. Um, but and also just like I want to honor my mother too like having read this beautiful personal essay that she she wrote um just you know last week which was her 66th birthday and she died when she was 40 but just having reading it again and hearing how she demanded connection and love and was fierce in that that you know it definitely came from from her as well and you know this beautiful woman that she was and a white woman and a woman who had had you know total hysterectomy in at 30 34 years old mm. um so yeah not to just totally mm. I wanted to honor her there as yes well. yes thank you mm. yeah thank you I'm just gonna take a breath <laughs> thank you mm. 
Vanessa, this is my last big question for you before we go into some quick shoot questions, which are always a bit of fun and a bit of lightness to finish up the secrets of embodied pleasure. I'm curious, what's your current edge with your own version of pleasure and what you would like to learn about yourself? And the answer might be nothing, just a foot. There doesn't have to be something. Is there an edge there that you're looking to explore? Yeah, I I think my edge is commitment, trust and flow. Um, and I'm not sure if that, that works, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> ownership. Ownership <laughs> is me. Exactly. As I was saying that, I was like, what the fun kind of podcast are we on here? Um, my, I trust, like, I'm showing up at the moment in the best ways that I can and I notice changes and I notice more joy and I notice more vitality. The erotic self for me, you know, I definitely when I was kind of post-burnout and and checking in, my libido was probably the lowest it has been in a number of years, like ever actually. And so obviously doing this work, that's always something that, is like an interesting juxtaposition, um, mm. but also really powerful to be able to, to when you you know source it again or when it arises or doing the work how it how it emerges is like really fulfilling and you're like oh yeah this is some great stuff I'm teaching, but so yeah I am in deep soul work and I show up weekly to that that container if not daily even though my desire would you know leave my therapist one like, can I you know can I just stay for a few weeks and really smash it out here <laughs> you're <laughs> gonna have to go now <laughs> please Mary um smash it out can I just smash yeah. out my soul work Or <laughs> yeah. just like so desperate you know 26 years after my mum died like just to cry these tears but yeah. You know, I've also been reflected by my partner and by my therapist yesterday that that I am doing that and I'm crying those tears and that they are moving through me. So mm. I and I love exploring all of these deep subjects too with clients and with humans in the world because it all affects the libido and our ability to feel safe and release and open up and, and feel pleasure. So my my edge is showing up to myself and, you know, that grows and every day I think. But, yeah, I'm really present and aware to what I need and I'm taking, you know, slow and steady. He's been kind of from that fable, I think it was like an Aesop's fable back in the day. It was something that stuck with me since I was like eight or nine, slow and steady. Um, and that's me. You know, yeah. it is me to a T. I'm just yeah. like, and so, and I just have the confidence to be me now. Like that really like next level confidence kind of came to me last year through all of these conversations and through finally being held and holding compassion. So I just want to continue with that. It's yes. Like, and continually checking. And there are some big growth, you know, there are some big kind of maneuvers that, that I would bring in to really level up but just being kind of gentle and compassionate on the route um, is, is, is an edge for me. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 
Sounds delicious. I know. I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great life. Yeah. Mm. It does sound delicious because it's, yeah, it's definitely what I live for. It's like, yeah, love kind of unpacking it all. I wonder, do you, how do you, do you feel the same about unpacking your stuff? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. There's just always, it's continual, it's ongoing, getting better at noticing when I don't need to unpack anymore and I can just be, be and not have to quote unquote work, do the work, like yeah. int- do introspection. It's like just just actually beautifully exist for a while, just exist, just yeah, around, yeah. just you don't have to be um, journaling something or doing another course or, um, you know, finding, digger deep, digging into deeper layers. There's lots of beautiful permission in that. So it's about vacillating between the times where, yeah, okay, it's time to step back into a container or receive support and then times where it's like, no, actually the learning, the really rich learning is going to come from not being in personal development work or in that world and just integrating and working out what's sticking after one, two, three, ten years, like what's still sticking around from the certificate of sexological bodywork what's still sticking around from that dance I did what's still sticking around like what um what's still there rather than going and acquiring Mm. I think that has really like I hear the slowdown I still move very fast but my fast is coming from this year in particular it's been a beautiful one I love this year personally Mm. it's really been about responsive overreactive I can still move in my fast Lauren generator way and get my ideas and do different things and I can do it without desperation feeling frantic feeling like I'm I've got to beat the clock feeling like does that make does that make sense I love it yeah it's it's all excitement leading the way and I've decided Mm. that that is the only way I'm going to do it from now on I can be changeable I can uh, be multi-passionate within the umbrella of women's work and trust that every single thing I generate feeds into the next thing, creates this beautiful web of work and it's not up to me how people consume it, interpret it, what they do with it. It's not my responsibility. My only responsibility is to create when it feels generous and abundant to create mm. and to still do my own shit as well. So it's yeah. really that um, I felt you when you talked about what it's like to hold now and I want women to know when you hold, when you allow yourself to be held, it is a different ball game altogether. You are the way that I feel when I hold now is so abundant. It's like there's no end to this. There's no scarcity. I trust mm. that um, I can give you the same information in a fortnight and it'll come out a little bit differently or I'll give you completely different information in a fortnight and um, I just trust that you'll get what you need when you need it. So there's that mm. sense of surrendering to being a channel and allowing it to come through rather than trying to premeditate a program, what does this person need to learn? What are their outcomes? What are their goals? Like I've really abandoned, I really have none of that in my work. (laughs) It's really like, okay, what's coming through tonight? Let's let's check and that's why we check in with your body because your body Mm. will tell us. Your body will tell us in that moment. We cannot say in this moment, in a week, that's what we need to focus on in that session. Anyone, Mm. I think there's 
that's a bit, it's quite risky doing it that way because you're forcing a topic on when the body might be telling a very different story about where it stands and what it wants to express. So it's, um, yeah, I I feel your words. I feel the trust. I feel the love. I feel the flow. And I just cannot believe, you know, we were in our 20s when we did sexology were at that real Saturn return that real okay shit's about to change and um that was incredibly powerful because we're both born in the same same year Mm -hmm. and um I just think our younger selves would be very impressed with the women that are speaking together today (laughs) (laughs) I think that's (laughs) great totally and I love that too Loz and for you like yeah, that belief in your work and it really has resonated as well from the, you know, the other side of the screen and, and seeing what you're what you're doing and how you're holding it and and these conversations. It's and you're feisty and I love it. <laughs> I love it too. I just want everyone, this is the point of the work for every woman to access their own version of this. Like that is the yeah. whole point. If I had to, if someone said what do you do, that is what I'd say is for women to access their own version of aliveness, aliveness, like their own version of aliveness and vitality and feeling turned on for life. That's it. For sure. (laughs) Vanessa, I have some quick shoot questions for you. Please just like, I know you're you're going slow, but we're just going to slightly speed up. Yeah, no, I like it uh, fast too. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, just whatever comes comes through to you from the get go. What's your favorite taste? Ooh, umami. Ooh, yes. What's your favorite ritual? I like. I really just love checking in with my body moment to moment. Yeah, yeah. Breathing, nice. being in it. Mm. Nice. What's your favorite secret place? There's some. I'm living in the bush in in um definitely down by the river, Birarung, the Yarra River. Birarung is the indigenous name for it. So yeah, quiet nature, river flowing. Yum. What's one word you want people to you would like people to use to describe you? Brave hearted. Mm. Gorgeous. Today, that's what it is. Yes, that's it. Today that's what it is. Mm. It could be very different an hour from now, a day from now, a week from now. That's what I love about presence. You can't ever anticipate the answer until you're actually in the moment. What gives you goosebumps? I think feeling seen. Mm. And, yeah, when I went there, I just kind of dropped in and it's like for me the flow state is when I'm kind of on stage presenting and sharing ideas. Yeah. And, um and that moment-to-moment connection with the audience, because I'm in flow, I can, like, remember it feels like every minute of the whole hour of, like, interaction and conversation, words. Mm. And it's, yeah, that that relationship, the, the relationship between that feels like goosebumps. Yes. Yes. Mm. And lastly, who's one woman who's really seen you? Oh. I have to say um, definitely Dana, my partner, and I was also going to say Mary, my therapist, because, yeah, yesterday she saw me me beautifully. And I'd also love to say um, Auntie Rona 
my um, Dana's auntie. Mm. She's also become a great friend of mine. And, yeah, she's really seen me too. So there's three women. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Vanessa. Can you please? And now stop? you, my friend, Lobby. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're definitely seeing me too. <laughs> I love seeing you. I've always loved seeing you and cheering from the sidelines and doing a double (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that unconditional fan club. Unconditional unconditional fan of yours. Unconditional. Like you know, despite me being an aloof Aquarian on the phone, which I I am until you text me, I need you. Can um are you available? And then I can respond. Um but yeah, aside from the aloof Aquarian, I um yeah I feel that in our friendship and in your support 100% unconditional so thank you yeah you're so welcome it's a joy like that it always just feels abundant it just or never yeah always feels abundant to to see you to witness you and to cheer you on um Mm. from the sidelines Vanessa can you please tell the audience where we can find you in person online Sure, I'm definitely more available online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my website is miamuse.com, M-I-A-M-U-S-E.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're in the process of giving that some good love and some exciting projects are coming up. So that should be with, the website is live now, but it will be upgraded in the next few months. Um, I've got an exciting project coming out in March next year, um, which maybe we'll have to do a second follow-up podcast. Yeah, and let's do around that time. Yeah, I'll book you in. Secret out there, baby. <laughs> yeah. um, do you know how organised I am? I'll book it. I'll be like messaging. I know. Send me the link now. Can we? Can we put this in our calendar? <laughs> yeah. Let's do one for Feb. Lock it in. Send me yeah. the link. I'll book it. Yeah. Um, Happy birthday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm working with one-on-one clients, but I've got a bit of a wait list at the moment. And I, but I, so that I am more accessible and more available for more people, I'm putting together a bit of a course at the moment as well. So, if you're interested in working with me, please um, email me, and I'll kind of keep you in the loop and and respond. Um, and yeah, I'm on the socials, meamuse.pleasure, Vanessa Meridian, sexologist, the biggest bloody handle in the world. Um, and I'm all over the internet. You if you're are. curious. Yeah, you but, are. Um, this has been a really nice chat and one I haven't had before, particularly around, um, yeah, I loved unpacking the life as foreplay in this depth with you and also the, the stuff about my heritage and and feeling a bit mixed in womanhood that's a brand new conversation so thank you so much oh thank you I've got no doubt that this will resonate with so many women who maybe are at a point that where they haven't quite put the words together yet but Mm -hmm. listening to you will help them to form some words some ideas around where they're at and where they could go from here so thank you you're an absolute gift And I can't wait for our follow-up. Me too. And thank you for the gift that you are, my vital, loving, laughing pleasure hub. (laughs) (laughs) I have no doubts that this episode, thank you, I have no doubts that this episode has contributed to your understanding of your secret self. 
If it has activated you, take the next saucy step and by sharing and tagging me on Instagram so that together we can create an even bigger impact of women feeling seen, heard and understood.